I have a very special guest today, Darren Overstreet. He currently serves as the lead evangelist for the Seattle Church of Christ, where he and his wife, Carla, have served for the last 11 years. Prior to that, they served in the Tacoma Church for 14 years. And Darren has a degree in architecture from the University of Washington. After working in the design field for nearly four years, God called he and his wife into the full-time ministry. Darren has done some postgraduate work at Harding Graduate School of Theology and recently, and I have to say congratulations, graduated with a master's degree in missional leadership from Rochester University. Great school. Great program, by the way. They have three wonderful children and have been married for 30 years and are in the process of transitioning from Seattle to a ministry position in Tampa, Florida. Darren, welcome to the channel. Hey, good to be here, Kyle. Thanks so much for having me. I, I want to have you start out with, uh, tell us a little bit about your conversion and a little bit more in terms of why you went into the ministry. Sure. Uh, yeah, great question. So I became um, a Christian at 1993 at the University of Washington here in Seattle. My wife, Carla, and I were attending school together and uh, having both grown up in the evangelical world our whole lives, we, we were really at a point, I think a lot of people get here, but we were at a point where we wanted to get plugged into a church that felt relational and purposeful. It was a little bit of a starting over for us. I think we were ready for a new map or a new script regarding Christianity, which I know a lot of people get to. And <clears throat> long story short, we were invited to the Seattle Church of Christ. We got involved. Uh, then got baptized a few months later. I graduated um, and got a, a job as a young architect here in Seattle. But honestly, I spent every extra moment doing what I could to help people become Christians and to build up the church. That, that was really our passion. Um, three and a half years later, after graduation, we almost four years later, we were asked to enter the full-time ministry. It was a need, they asked us. And after a period of discernment, we transitioned from our secular job to the ministry. Uh, to the second part of your question, as I think about it, um, what motivated us to become Christians and to enter uh, the full-time ministry were a couple of things in particular. First, and this does go back to our, our experience in the evangelical world. First, though, was just discipleship, the idea that Christians committed themselves to transformational, involved personal relationships that freaked us out at first. Uh, at times, it still does, but it felt right. It felt biblical. It was what we needed in our life. We were experienced in religion, but not very experienced in the beautiful work and sometimes messy work of allowing people into the messiness of your life and being vulnerable. We just, we weren't. Uh, that was really refreshing. The second thing, though, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about today, was mission and evangelism. Um, like a lot of people that grew up in the evangelical world, I, I knew Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I didn't really I didn't, I didn't really experience it. Uh, I think in some ways we might have, but a church fellowship committed to the real and self-denying work of reaching other people with the Christian message of hope was really refreshing to us. And it's why I fell in love with the ICOC way back when. And it's what I continue to love about our churches 
uh, all over the world. So there you go. Thank you for that. And, and, and to, to sort of open this up, the question mm -hmm. is, is, you know, why am I having a conversation as it relates to trauma mm -hmm. and evangelization? And for our listeners, just for a moment, the, the question of why that is, because of all the emails I've gotten and the feedback, I, I listen to you as you guys, you send in, you know, can you talk about this? And, and what about this and that? And the other part about that is, I'm not willing to have some of these large conversations without talking to the people who minister for a living. I think that there are many folks who have either sidelined evangelists or, you know, ministers, pastors who, you know, there's different ways in Christendom to call them, but we have to invite people who serve and minister into these conversations instead of just having these tribes where we talk about what we think or we speculate i think it's important to have conversation i could not do good ministry work on this uh this this channel unless i address this issue because of so much pain that is associated as it relates to evangelism and the trauma that people have and unfortunately, I mean, that's kind of one of the things trauma does. Trauma gets things to go together that shouldn't go together and things that should go together now aren't able to go together. And so as it relates to evangelism, we're going to get into how do you know if a situation is not healthy? How do you know if it's becoming legalistic or becoming like there's 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 actual hazing that can occur in Christian circles and so forth? We're going to get into that. We want people to feel safe that this is a place where you can have spiritual and character formation on all levels. And so we're going to get into that. And yet God has called us to partner with him in his passion of reaching a world for him. And that will never, listen guys, that will never not be what Jesus wants. <laughs> I just want to be very clear about that. The mission will always be the mission. So he comes back. So Darren, will you start? We got to start with scripture. Sure. Let's begin with what the scriptures teach about how the churches are supposed to spread the gospel yeah okay so really glad you said that like that because <clears throat> we need to start with uh the biblical narrative um, when we start with the suppositions we bring into this endeavor or we start with our experience or even just our own fallen nature it it's incomplete um we get our cues from what the bible teaches and I believe the entire biblical narrative is about a relational God pursuing sinful people that had basically walked away from his sovereignty and his love. <clears throat> humans, you know, way back in Genesis, humans started life as the centerpiece of God's story. Now, didn't take us long before we felt like it had a better way. We gave into sin and we ruptured the relationship. That was us. Essentially, we decided to be the centerpiece of our own story. Right. And immediately, it just didn't work out well for us. Um, since that time, though, way back in Genesis 3, God has had one goal as I read the scriptures, and that is to draw fallen humans back into his story, uh, no matter what we've done. Um, and that's the amazing part of the gospel. God, through scripture, used servants of all kinds to gather a nation of people, to set them apart as holy, teach them how to live back in relationship with him, and then to show the world something very, very different. And of course, we know it culminated with God sending his son Jesus into the world as the ultimate expression of love, right? Um, 
Philippians 2, 1 through 11, my favorite passage, says that Jesus emptied himself of himself in order to be on our level, to serve us and to show us the love of the Father. And that really is the essence of the gospel. Um, having said that, the church plays a big role in this. It seems to me the church is to imitate Christ in this. So as a response to what I just said, that whole biblical narrative, the church is supposed to situate itself in such a way as to show the world that same kind of self-emptying love in whatever context it finds itself. Um, when I was, when you said that, I was thinking about Ephesians 2 and 3, okay? So in Ephesians, the apostle Paul is conveying in very powerful language the glory of the visible church and the invisible church. It's not perfect in any sense, but it's designed to perfectly convey how God wants to reconcile people back to him. Uh, so for instance, in chapter two, I believe it's verses 11 to 21, he describes that spiritual unity was achieved between the Jews and the Gentile believers. That was hard fought, right? That, was, that wasn't easy. Uh, we think we have it hard today. That was tough. But the result was the church, a community where barriers and divisions were broken down, hostility was done away with, and it was beautiful. Um, divisions and uh, disunity and hostility, these are all commodities that the world trades in, in each generation. They wreak havoc today, just as they did in the first century. And verse 18 of, of chapter two says, I think it's chapter two that says, we all now have access to the same thing. And he talks about the church being a, a household, a building in which we're all built together to be a place where God is glorified. So that's the role of the church, to bring all people together, to share in that same gospel. In fact, in chapter three, my favorite chapter of Ephesians, uh, especially around verse 10 to 13, Paul explains that the church is God's way of showing the world his manifold wisdom. Some, some translations don't use manifold anymore, but I like that because it means multifaceted. It means all different kinds of ways. His wisdom is displayed in the different ways we do things as a church. So when the church understands its mission is to help partner with God, like you said, to draw people into something very different than the world offers it, it changes everything. A few scriptures that come to mind. I mean, everyone knows this one watching this podcast, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, sometimes that's been honestly sort of the only scripture that's been used for mission, and that's just unfortunate. But that tells us to be committed to making disciples and teaching how to obey God in a post-Christian world. Um, Matthew 5 to 7, the, the very words of Jesus, he challenges us to live countercultural lives in a world that honestly, in many ways, stands opposed to God's values. Um, I was reading Romans 12 the other day. As members of Christ, we are to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, um, imitating that self-denying love that Christ demonstrated for us on the cross. And of course, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, that we're called to be all things to all men so that we can save some. Um, so the gospel is, is from start, the Bible's from start to finish is about drawing, helping do our part to draw people back into God's story. And the church is, is done well when each member 
decides to exhibit that same self-sacrificial love that Jesus did show to us. It's not easy, but it really is the mandate of evangelism that the world needs. Um, does that make sense? Without question, I appreciate the, the premise that you're establishing, which is to some degree, you're bringing it back to Jesus and we're called to be yeah. image bearers. And as you think about being an image bearer, it's, hey, we're looking for other people. You see in John 4, we're looking for people. God is looking for people who worship in truth and in spirit. Mm -hmm. People who are looking at, like you had mentioned, the, the values of God, which have to be learned. They're not assumed. Yep. They have to be yep, learned. That's right. As we image bear, we call other people to, to then do the same thing. That That's a vocation. It's not just, right. hey, let me... <laughs> Let me follow this guy because I think he's got a better way. No, this is my destiny. And we look in Colossians, that idea of reconciling is yes. that we are brought back into our God-ordained destiny. And so Paul has this amazing revelation that God gives him of, oh, wait, Jesus was there in the beginning. This was a co-op between the two. This wasn't, oh, man, messed it up and everything got messed up. And so hopefully we can find some people. No, this was the plan the entire time, to your point. Yeah. And now we're all called to be image bearers and to, to, to image someone, this idea of how do I take the concept of who they am, who, who that person is, and I now become a television. I become some sort of way that people can see, oh, that's, yep. that's the call versus I'm just going to go invite people out to this thing yep. that I kind of think I understand or want to. It's not just inviting people out. You're calling people to destiny which is yeah. kind of inspiring, but it, yep. I think that's part of why I have you on today, Darren, because you're able to name things and inspire people to think in new ways. What are some unhealthy evangelism approaches that we have to first kind of talk about? Wow, uh, great question. You just said a lot and I, I love all of it. Um, you can comment however you want. If you want to comment honestly, on this or that first and then get to that, do that. Oh yeah, yeah, no. No, the image bearing, idea is really important because um, it's in our spiritual DNA to care about people, to want reconciliation. Even when we can't name it, we know it, we feel it. So it's why we're ambitious. But as fallen humans, when we're ambitious for things like evangelism, that is completely God's domain, <laughs> we, can, we can stain it. We can do it really, really well, and we can do it um, honestly, we can do it in a way that it kind of messes it up, as you just said. So, you know, there are some unhealthy things, I think, related to evangelism that as I've ministered to people, and especially as I've served on the minister's health committee that I've heard about, and then as I've just developed in my own progression as a minister, I've seen some things that I think, we got to think about that for a minute. And there are a few things. For instance, um, well, there's one thing that I've noticed in 27 years of ministry that is maybe even a starting point, and it sounds so basic, but it's so fundamental. And that is, we get confused about who really owns the mission. We just do. Um, whose mission is it? Is it God's or is it ours? Um, the answer to this is really important because it can set you on a group or a person on a trajectory of health or unhealth. Of course. Wow. I don't, I don't think anybody watching this would ever say, yes, I'm in charge of the mission. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. It's right. one thing to say that, though, and it's another thing to practically act as if we are. 
um, as I've said before, I, I just mentioned God has always been missional. But here's what we have to realize. God has been missional way before we arrived on the scene. He is now way more than us. I, I know in the last week, I've had several hours in my day where I wasn't thinking that missional. God is thinking about it 24-7. It's who he is. And then long after we leave, he's still a missional God. It's who he is. And because of that, God is active in the world. He's not passive. He's working on the hearts of men and women. He's draw, trying to draw them back in a relationship with him. I mean, we read a scripture we love in Acts 17, 24 to 28. Paul tells the Athenians that the living God is actively involved in people's lives. And he's always moving and working. So this should really inform us. And we should never feel like we have the goods. Um, you know, we've got salvation. And so yep. it's our job to give it to people. Honestly, we can act like that. Wow. It's dangerous. Instead, we should always remind ourselves, our congregations, that God is working in people's lives already and in their communities. And then humbly look for ways to participate in that. We should remind ourselves that we partner with him, as you just said, not, not him partnering with us. It, think about how arrogant that is. I mean, God, we've figured some stuff out. We will, we will map the way when we hope you can join us. It's, it's subtle, this distinction, but it can be the difference between health and unhealth. And I think we've talked about it before as if it's sort of our domain, and it's just not. Um, we know the scripture in 1 Corinthians 3 that says that we, our job is to, to plant seed, to water it, but we don't make that thing grow. Um, it's God. It's, but, but again, it's not hard for us to read that scripture and then walk away and instantly get our roles confused with God's. And when we do that, especially as leaders, we can put pressure on ourselves and each other to make things happen. And we just have to be careful with that. So that's one thing that comes to mind. The other thing, um, okay, so this is something I've been thinking about recently. Another thing has to do with what we in our church celebrate as Christians. Um, you, you have young kids, right, Kyle? I do. Um, I do. Okay. I do. My, my kids are grown now. I've, my, my daughter's headed off to college. My boys are out of the house. But what we celebrate in our family goes a long way to the identity formation of my family. So, and often we've not celebrated the full array of the Christian experience. So let me tell you a story. A few years ago, I was at a church building workshop in Seattle. Um, and I heard someone say this about church culture. Church culture, your church culture or ours as a fellowship, is what you install in your church, what you allow in your church, or what you celebrate in your church. You can have your church culture written on a piece of paper, but the truth is, in reality, it's those three things. Uh, it doesn't matter what you have written on a mission statement. It is those three things. And I thought a lot about that. There, there's very specific things that fall into each category for us, but I was thinking about what we celebrate, and most of our celebration has to do with souls saved. And someone might be going, well, yeah, man, that's what it's all about. Totally. I get that. Um, 
but let me, okay, let me give an example. We have a tradition in our churches, maybe in Omaha, you've got this, we've done this in Seattle, but we, we gather together in, and in the spirit of Proverbs, we want to share good news, right? Who's got some good news to share? Raise your hand. If you watch closely over the years, most of the news revolves around who's coming to church, who's studying the Bible, and who got baptized. Look, all good things. I don't want to lose that. But what happens if that's the majority of our good news? Mm. I think over time, it can do a couple of things. First, it can create in the group listening this sort of pressure to perform. Yeah. For me to have good news, I've got to be actively successful in evangelism. And it, it can easily turn into a works-oriented culture without even trying to. Um, and, and we know those never bear good fruit. You know, as a therapist, that, that that has a way of contributing to some mental health issues. When you, as a church, even subtly tie your spiritual walk together with your performance, trouble's not far away. Um, and often mental health struggles are made worse by, by another derivative of that kind of thinking, which can just be a deficit-centered Christianity, which too many people have said this kind of thing creates. So I think we got to celebrate um, the full array of the Christian life. Um, you know, it, 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 redu it also reduces a successful Christian life just to evangelism. Look, succession, success in evangelism isn't even close to all we should be celebrating as Christians. For instance, um, and I know you think about this, do we celebrate when we suffer or are persecuted for standing firm in the faith? Does your hand shoot up and go, I've been suffering mightily for two years. And would we go, yay, that's really great. I don't know. I, but you can make a good case that we should. James 1 verse 2 says, consider it pure joy right. when you face trials of many kinds. Or Acts 5.41 says, when the early apostles left the, the persecution of the Sanhedrin, they rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So or here's another example. Do we, do we celebrate when we as a person go through an intense period of doubt, hmm. but make it through on the other side with some good self-discovery? I think we should. Do we celebrate? I know as a leader, it freaks me out when this happens. Just going to say it. <laughs> but do we celebrate when someone wrestles mightily with the doctrinal issue, hmm. prays about it, explores it a little bit, and navigates it in a healthy way. I think we should. I mean, that's growth. So we should celebrate all progress and growth, not just evangelism. In the end, I actually ironically think it will help our view of evangelism to be much more balanced in what we celebrate. And it'll actually help us to be more effective because I'm telling you, when non-Christians come into those very things I just mentioned and they hear good news, non-Christians are more drawn to stories of suffering and weakness mm. and people that are working through them than they are successful evangelism you know taking the world and conquering the world is not that inspiring to people who feel weak in their lives wow who um who feel like i can't conquer anything i'm just trying to get through the day I, i'm telling you evangelism is a really necessary part of who we are but it doesn't define who we are and i think we've confused that before um, so in the spirit of that example, I've tried a little shift in Seattle when I meet for midweek or 
my staff meetings or whatever, I say, let's talk about good news, but here's what I want to know. What is God doing in your life right now? Or what is he helping you discover about your Christian walk? And the stories are beautiful. Um, or one of the things I've started in the staff meetings is how have you failed this last week? And what did it teach you? Those are the kind of things that inspire that inspire most people. Not that feels almost unheard of, my brother. I, I well, I'm it, not saying other people aren't doing it, but that's I love what you're saying. Please continue. Well, we we I I think I think it's shifting. I think more people are are becoming aware of this. I believe that, but but that will that will actually contribute to a greater evangelistic health. Yeah. You know, there's one other thing I thought about, and I want to be careful here. Okay, I could step in it on this one, but sure. I. I want to be careful, but I think, I think another piece of unhealth around evangelism is the way we've just portrayed the church at times. Um, we need to express and convey a humble and realistic view of the church to the world. Too often, I know when I was younger in the faith, we presented the church as perfect, hmm. our church. Um, and often we held up the church, and this is good because you want people to come to church. You held up the church and say, look, this, look at this thing. Look at this community that we're a part of. And, of course, you want to bring people to a community you're proud of, right? But we don't hold, you don't hold the church up. You hold up the gospel. Mm. Um, and often, again, it can be subtle. But if you don't do that, if you hold up the church over the gospel, it's very dangerous. And it's not true. The church is not perfect. I remember as a young Christian, I felt like at times me and others were trying to sell the church to people, not necessarily the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, oh man. Wow. Way to put and, it. And we just, I think we're growing in this, Kyle, but we need to be careful. I, I'm not sure it was intentional. It wasn't <laughs> healthy. Look, the Bible teaches us that the church is God's crown jewel on earth. I believe that. But it's not perfect. I mean, just read like five paragraphs in, in, the, in uh, the letters. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. We work really hard here in Seattle and we evaluate things a lot. That's who we are. That's Seattle. And Andy Fleming lived to, Andy and Tammy lived here for probably uh, a year at one point. They come, they bounce back and forth because they have family here, but they lived among us and went to our groups and listened to all our conversation. And I remember a sermon Andy did that I was like, whoa. He said, hey, I want, to be, I want to caution you on something. You guys talk and act as if you're trying to present to the world a finished product. Mm. Don't do that. The church is not a finished product. will only be a finished product in the next life. It's got ups, downs, highs, lows, everything in between. But if we talk about the church like it's perfect or needs to be, we'll overly traumatize people. When they experience, and I, and I say when, because they will, Absolutely. when they experience something that reminds them it is not. Um, we just got to be careful with that. And we got to be careful to talk about our church, not in language that leads people to believe it's the only place where God is moving and working. Um, throughout history, I, I think this is not unique to us, but throughout history, movements have expressed all kinds of exclusive things about themselves or their groups. And I think it, it effectively can shrink God's work in the world and shrink mm -hmm. God's kingdom. God's kingdom is vast and he's working everywhere. Um, and I think 
I'm not, I'm not saying that we, we talk about our church in, in the midst of just an ecumenical faith system where everyone right. believes the same things. Let's not do that. But what I am saying is let's be humble about who we are. Let's build better bridges with people. Let's find common grounds with people. And I think we'll find the dialogue is a little bit more robust evangelistically. So I want to, I want to kind of go to this next sure. just for a moment. Yeah. Individualism. So here's the story arc of what I feel like for some churches made people feel like they were okay, which is I met someone personally and best if they were cold, right? If they were a friend, that's good too. But I went out cold contact. I met someone. I met them. Me, 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 me. I studied with them. I led most of that. I baptized them. I discipled them. You see where I'm going with this story arc. Oh yeah. Yeah. Then if we can get more people to do that, you know, find some bird dogs, then all of a sudden you got quote unquote growing ministry, at least in the temporary sense. But it feels like a lot of individualism has been imported into evangelism. Can you just talk for a moment? about how you think about evangelism as it relates to, you know what, this is a collective thing. Well, wow, you really characterize that well. I mean, first of all, since we did walk away from God's sovereignty, we um, we instantly felt the pressure to mm. take control from God. We, we, we're, just, we're just too good at doing that. It doesn't work. <laughs> we are weak people. Um, we... We need to part with him, not not him with us. I mean, that's, and I think I think your expressive individualism is a is a concept that I know you've even studied in counseling that has that has just ruined us. It's turned us too inward. I, I think I think we need to see this first of all. I think we need to talk about evangelism in a much more vibrant way, yeah. in a much more a bigger way. So, for instance. Too many times when we come together and talk about evangelism, we're evaluating churches and their growth based on some monolithic approach. You know, what's going on in Seattle is probably what needs to be going on in Omaha. That's just not true. They're very different cities. Mm. So the more we can, can enlarge the dialogue about what God is doing, the more it's, it's more creative. I think, you know, you, you made me think of something. When I went to a conference one time as a young Christian, something happened that, that messed me up for a long time. It's, at times, it's still in the back of my mind, and I think it was, for, it was done with all good intentions. But it's amazing how formative it was. There were probably two, 3,000 people in this room. And the, the speaker said, stand up if you've been personally fruitful this year. Oof. And I... <laughs> I can literally remember thinking, um, I mean, I tried to sit up and I sat down. I'm like, wait a second. And all of a sudden, this intense sort of evaluation in my mind, this rational exercise happened. I didn't stand up. And someone next to me said, I thought you just baptized that guy, right? And I said, well, I didn't meet him. And already I was twisted. Mm. Um, First of all, it was an individual affair who can I baptize? Um, when in reality, I was part of a community, a small yeah. group that helped convert someone. We all played different roles. We had different gifts and it was beautiful. 
That's another thing this individualism does is it diminishes individual gifts. Mm. We're all different. Can we just admit that we have uh, at times not honored all personality types when it comes to evangelism? And that has actually hurt some people. Um, people feel less useful if they don't, if they can't command a crowd, or they feel less useful if they don't have the same gifts as this charismatic brother or sister over there. God made all of us to contribute through a community to people seeing his glory. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it, it all looks differently. Even in my household, I've got three kids who approach evangelism differently based on something that God has, has uh, called them to do in their personality. But, so I think, I think we've, it also just messes us up gift-wise. Mm -hmm. I've heard people say it's honored certain personalities or, or people types over others. Yes. Um, all this can, can relate to trauma. And honestly, can, Kyle, we just need to admit something as a movement, okay? I've said this to other leaders. We're pretty young as a movement. Yeah. We sometimes mm. think 40 to 50 years old as a movement is so, some, look, we're just getting started. So um, we just had a few generations grow up. If we can learn these things and get better, that's growth. Not to dwell in the past, certainly not to forget it, but let's let these kinds of, of discoveries about ourselves move us forward in a more healthy way so that when we're two, 300 years old as a movement, we've, we've matured. Um, but I think you're right. It's, it's been treated, uh, and there's a lot of theology that goes into that, but it's been treated too individualistically. And really a church is a community working together um, and, and maybe even with a communal identity formation that is powerful and more holistic, yeah. I think. So I think you're on the right track with that. I really do. There's a lot of great conversations in there. What I noticed is that when you, when you talk about helping people to become zealous again, mm -hmm. you get in touch with the associations they have around zeal. And so I think for some people, I was talking to Sean St. John about this, that people have yep. these concepts around zeal that are associated with immaturity. Like, oh, I remember when I used to be all fired up and, you know, I used to evangelize and all that. Well, subconsciously, almost just in this weird way, it's also connected with the immaturity around mm -hmm. those concepts around evangelism. And the thing is, is that I want to know for it. I want everyone to know as we're having this conversation, I am not evangelism bashing. I, I can no, wholeheartedly no. tell you, you know, true trauma theology is about disciple making. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is to your point about the gifts, churches, communities, let's just talk about communities, communities that have yeah. people using their spiritual gifts, help people to heal and become Christians better than communities who don't. People right. who have people using their gifts, they heal better, they grow, they become mature. And that's what I hear you saying that I think is so under communicated is let's get churches let's get communities functioning people yes. then become attracted to that and that's what we see in our at times overly romanticized understanding of the new testament yeah okay like we can look at for the pattern and that's a whole nother podcast but as it relates to when we see god work in the early church what we really see is that people are using their gifts the holy spirit is using people and their gifts 
to evangelize, to bring the message to places it's never been before, to create healing, conversations that people have never been able to have. Again, if, if you have a contact, if your community has people who are growing and who are turning towards their trauma, who are, who are dealing with mental health, those people are going to do better and be more encouraged to go and share the gospel okay. anyway. <laughs> so I just, I think people using yeah. gifts, people being whole, healing, we don't need to have one template. Now, well, okay, yeah, so Please, man, every time you say something, you just drop some serious um, stuff we need to talk about in here because, and I really, I'm just loving it. Um, I've been around, I've been around for 27 years and I've been blessed. I think one of the most transformative things for me is to been on, to, to start that minister's health committee. Yeah. I'm not on it anymore. Uh, a wonderful brother named Joel Pete is sort of heading that up. Uh, I know you did a podcast. It was phenomenal for us or a, a workshop uh, a month or two ago, but um, we've got to be very careful how we measure success. Mm. Um, again, what you do over and over and over, whether it's in your family, your life, your church, it, it is identity forming. Um, it, it gets into all of your notions of value and self-worth. It just does. And we've used primarily as a way of just objectively looking at how our churches are growing, we use statistics and numbers. Now, I'm, I want to say those can be very helpful. Yeah. I don't want to get rid of those. But if not used properly, they can contribute to some unhealthy identity formation issues. What you focus on goes a long way towards identity formation. And if you do it wrong, it can take a while to undo. Mm. Um, so the, let's, let me mention the minister's health committee. We formed this team. We got therapists like yourself on it. I just basically ran meetings cause I'm like, I'm not trained in this area and I've been fascinated. So we started, we started our, our goal in this whole thing is to find out just for our ministers. Cause the truth is we've got to find out how the ministers are feeling about this stuff and doing Otherwise, I mean, let's face it, the people have no chance, right? Leaders, leaders lead, and we need to lead well. So we started by sending out a worldwide survey <clears throat> with specific and intentional questions designed to help us figure out how are our ministers doing spiritually and, and emotionally and mentally. Over 700 ministers filled it out, filled it out, which at the time, to the best of my knowledge, was out of about 2,200 ministers. It's a good sample size um and there are a lot of things we discovered and we're still using that survey but one glaring thing was how how much pressure our ministers have felt to numerically grow their churches wow and it it becomes so pressurized in some areas that they don't have time to focus on a more holistic approach yeah i think it's getting better i always want to keep saying that I've, yeah i'm a part of a lot of these conversations but our ministers reported that often it was it was too much of a corporate exercise, not a congregational exercise. Wow, what a distinction. Yeah, and look, should we all want our churches to grow in number? Yes. Um, is numerical growth the, the most healthy or even accurate way to measure success? I'm not sure it is. Um, 
many, many of the respondents said they struggle with identity issues because their church hasn't grown like they believe it has to. Mm -hmm. Others said they feel less valuable if they don't grow by a certain percentage. Uh, I know I felt that. Um, often, this is a something I do think we're getting better at. We've even often picked speakers and teachers at conferences based on how much their church was growing <laughs> or not. Wow. And I see a lot of dangerous things in that. Um, and I just want to say, I mean, seriously, I have to say this over and over. I'm okay with numbers, percentages. I'm a church leader. I just think it can't be the bulk of what we use to evaluate our Christians, our churches, or our ministers. And if it is the bulk of how we do that, we end up just highlighting certain things and not seeing the church holistically. Church growth and church health, in my opinion, is more about who we are becoming, hmm. not who we're bringing in, or not how many people we're bringing in. Do we want to bring people in? Yes. But are we talking about who are we growing into? What is God allowing us or sometimes even forcing us to become? And so let me give you an example. The church in, in Ephesus, we read in Revelation, there was some harsh words for that church. You've lost your first love. Not good. You're going to lose your lampstand if you don't renew your devotion to me. So they had stuff to work on. The church in Corinth struggled with being worldly, not treating sin seriously. Um, so I'm pretty sure when Paul discipled those churches or John discipled those churches, when they checked in, if they felt like that church made progress in the last year or two in those areas, that was probably killer growth. <laughs> and since, since maturity is growth, with a more mature church comes more numbers. So I think we're getting better at this, and I never want to lose our expectation to grow. I really don't. I don't think we understand. What kind of health, unhealth can come into churches who never have a focus on evangelism? It's a different kind of unhealth. But let's just make sure that with our good heritage and tradition of focusing on evangelism, that we're learning what we need to to see the church as a more holistic, healthy, and as you say, gift-based community. Because the truth is a healthy church is one where all members are using their gifts. Yeah to build it up, not necessarily a church where um, just scads of baptisms are happening. That's good. I'd like that every month of the year in Seattle, but, but it's not necessarily all there is to the biblical story about church growth, right? And, and, and to your point, it can create a lot of trauma and distortions if we don't dialogue about how to parse that out well. Sure. I think it's Wayne Gretzky okay. was asked, how were you so good? And I think Wayne Gretzky said something like, well, a lot of people were going to where the puck was. I went to where the puck was going to be. Wow. And, and I was like, huh, how does, how might that apply to something like essentially, you know, how, how the church grows? And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, here's one thing I do know. I think you have people that go to where the puck is. That's not a bad thing. That's fine. But then I think you have other congregations, they seemingly always go to where the puck is going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's so powerful. And the Holy Spirit's the one leading in all this. But I think yeah. one of the key factors is being adaptable. And so one of the things that I, I talk about yeah. with people 
is that you can be prepared for a lot of things and still not be prepared for change. I have a motivational interviewing book. It's based on motivational psychology. How do you motivate okay. people and like really motivate okay. them? And at the end of the day, you can prepare people for a lot of things, but then not be prepared for change. Yeah. It feels like your style, just even from, you know, listening to you for years and that, that type of thing, you, you probably have been preparing people for change. Now, when we don't prepare people for change, we tend to make change the enemy. Okay. Right. That would be problematic. Yeah. Change is not the enemy. It's something that we need to utilize and actually be prepared for. And so yeah. when you think of the church being adaptable, I mean, look, we, the command center approach is over. We have to go in community, right. right? People driving five hours to come to our church building. Those days are over. When I think of how technology has changed things in terms of what really counts as a member now? Like these are questions people haven't had to ask before. Um, there's no question that we currently find ourselves in a situation where the church is absolutely going to have to adapt yeah. and change, yeah. literally. Not, not change the morals or the, the doctrine, but there are ways that we're gonna have to change. And that's part of why yeah. I brought you on to talk a little bit about that. What are some thoughts that you have about that? Wow, man, you don't, you don't throw softballs, man. You throw uh, <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate you. And you're bringing up Gretzky, which I didn't think you were old enough to watch Wayne Gretzky, but that dude, man. <laughs> um, look, okay, so first of all, thank you for your kind words. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm that good at this stuff. I, all of us have had to adapt. I don't think any of us were prepared for what just happened or what is happening. We do live in an outside of the box city. We have to think outside of the box. I think I've done that well at times and quite frankly, not so well at times, but, and hopefully we can all say that. I, I just, I appreciate those words, but I, here's some things I've been thinking about, okay? Um, our approach, well, first of all, our approach needs to be very adaptable. Those are the words you just used always open to learning and maturing in our communication and our love. The scriptures are sacred, but our methods and structures are not. The scriptures are canonized. The way we do things is not canonized. Um, now, if we treat it like that, we make truth our application of truth. That's not right. I've never truth heard anybody truth. say that before. Can you say that again? That was, that was, that was bars. Say that again. Truth is true. But truth is not our application of truth. We have many ways to apply the truth, but it not, doesn't necessarily mean that just the way we're doing it, methodologically or how we're meeting for church or those kind of things are just the correct way. We have to be adaptable. I will say this. Um, we have to be careful, though, that we don't make the scriptures adaptable. In other words, of course, you adapt the scriptures to your context and all that, but I've seen in Seattle, it's really tempting, Kyle. It is really hard to preach the historic Christian faith in Seattle. Um, you, get, you can get laughed at. You can get mocked. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's such a level of deconstruction that people go, are you still preaching that stuff? And the answer is yes. Um, the scriptures don't change. Our understandings of the scripture can grow. We need, to, we need that, right? But not 
the message of the scripture are, there's some settled doctrine. There's a lot of things that we should not mess with, but it's tempting in a place like Seattle to tweak the scriptures a bit to make it a little more palpable to the people we're reaching out to. And we just can't do that. On the other hand, let's make sure that we don't live in a world where we can't um, tweak the way we do things a little bit. There's some low hanging fruit as we, as we emerge, as we're in a COVID world and we emerge from a COVID world. And I've heard my brothers and sisters talking about them, developing church apps, podcasts, getting better in the era of technology, finding more effective ways to teach our people, stuff like that, right? But um, I think uh, what you said about change, I mean, leaders need to be open to change. As a leader, it's very uncomfortable. To change anything about the way you're doing stuff but you know it's it's needed um we need to think on our feet we need to be open to flexibility we need to invite invite a lot of voices into the dialogue um i know here in seattle people want a they want their voice heard they do want they do they do appreciate biblical authority they do want someone to to distill ideas and make a decision we can't lose that but if you, if you invite all gifts and all voices into a dialogue, the decision tends to be better, right? So we're, we're trying to get better at that in Seattle. I think you might, you might, have, wanted to, you might have this on a different question, but I, I think the real opportunity for us is to capitalize on something that, that's right under our nose, okay? And this will take some creative talk, but we need to capitalize on offering something spiritually and relationally that is radically different than the world is offering people. Holiness and godliness in the midst of an unholy and chaotic culture is magnetic to people. Um, the people I study with these days, they don't want more of the world in church. They want, they desire a radically different picture of living. And I think that's the kind of stuff we need to get creative about is how can we get more creative in all the stuff we're doing? There's, there's, there's all the structures and methods and all that. But um, how can we get more creative in how we disagree with each other, quite frankly? How can we get, think out of the box on how we dialogue about really passionate things and not lose our friendships? Um, this is what the world wants. And I think we have, anyway, I have more to say about that, but that's a couple things that comes to mind. Um, there's no room anymore for leaders not to adapt, but I'm sensitive to overly thinking about how we adapt the scriptures to our situation. We need to adapt ourselves to our situation and use the scriptures responsibly um, but have faith in the scriptures too. We mentioned a couple times before this question, we mentioned whose, whose mission it really is. I trust God that he's working on every single person's heart. And if I just do my best, and if I am faithful to what he's called me to do, he's going to open the hearts of even the toughest person to reach in Seattle. And uh, so it keeps us on our toes. And there's just a couple things, you know, that come to mind. So one of the things that I really like about what you're saying is that we're, you know, we need to capitalize like we look in mm -hmm. scripture, you know, I, I see like th there's a scattering that happens in acts, 
where it's like, what's happening in the church? Well, Jesus actually said, <laughs> start in Judea, um, but you're going to go out, Samaria, and then the whole world. And when that's happening, it feels traumatizing. But that might be the mechanism yeah. that gets the Great Commission to become great. It's a great commission. But there are these things that happen like right now where we're not able to see clearly like what it's for. And I've been preaching recently about Joseph. Joseph is a unique character because it was never clear what he was actually being trained for. <laughs> and I think there are a lot of ministers who right now say, like, what am I supposed to do mm. with what I'm going through? I think there are the, the way that things are changing. I think you talked about being a both and on one hand, being adaptable makes it easier to deal with people who are quote unquote, the, the seeker sensitive people who, you know, they're looking for a spiritual community, but they're not looking to, to put any kind of name on it or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's really becoming more of a challenge to your point to yes. help find people um, and to get them to some authentic convictions. Let's take Paul, for example, Paul yeah. spends yeah. 18 months in Corinth. He exchanges his leather work for lecture work. He rents yep. a lecture hall. It's really a hut from Tyrannus during the heat of the day when rent was cheap. He's got the yep. Stoics, he's got the Epicureans, and that that's where he is over a period of time where he is in Corinth. It was a period of time that people responded to the gospel and really a small percentage. But over time, over time, people responded and there was a community that was there. So I say that to say hmm. that's also programmatic as we look at the lifespan of evangelism and I could go on and on, but there are these swings yeah. method. I, I, I love what you're saying. What I'm really hearing you say in all of it is let's not get too beholden to anything yeah. that makes us rigid. Well, uh, yes. So a couple of things about what you just said. Yeah. Um, we, this is a real quick statement, but we've got to be careful. We, we don't put time horizons on what God is doing or, mm. or evangelism or mission work. It's really easy. But if we believe this is God's mission and it is his mandate and he's already doing it, we're partnering with him. We can make all the goals and mission statements we want, but let's just, let's just really understand that they're written on a piece of paper. And if we, we, we can hit him, which would be God doing that. But he doesn't often care about our notions of time. So huh. if, if a church doesn't grow in 12 months um, and we make a big deal out of that, there could be a lot more to the story. We may make a big deal out of it. God may be going, what are you talking about? I'm just getting started. So we got to be careful we don't do that. Um, we also have to do what you said. I think authentic Christianity and authentic growth comes from authentic community. Yeah. And we've got to maybe even uh, as we grow as a church, bigger as a church, we have to get smaller as we get bigger. Hmm. More vibrant house churches, maybe smaller groups, maybe, maybe I, I like the, the areas where people are, are experimenting with meeting together as a church and then another week they meet just by small groups. One of my members in Seattle during COVID said something that stopped me in my tracks. We're on a Zoom call and she said, I've seen more of my neighbors in the last six months than I ever did driving by them on the way to church. Oh my goodness, Darren. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, I'm more immersed in my community now 
because this this woman lives about 40 minutes from where we meet for church. Mm. She said, I really need the fellowship. I need to meet with the body. But at times, if we could even meet as a smaller group, I could minister better to my neighbors. So there's 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 creative ways to to meet as a church community. And every leader's got to dialogue that about that with people. Um, and also what authentic, what, what being immersed in your community will help you with is to find legitimate conversation partners. So this is what I was, I was looking at Paul. You mentioned Paul at the Tyrannus at, at, uh, in Corinth. I was, I was looking at Paul in Athens, right? And Paul just interacts with the Epicureans. He interacts with these philosophers. He uses their reasoning and he says, let me tell you how the living God makes its way, it makes his way into that. In Seattle, there's some really legitimate and scary conversation partners. There's wow, there's there's all kinds of issues. There's homelessness that's rampant. There's there's LGBTQ issues. There's um there's issues of all kinds of authority. There's um Seattle was known last summer or summer and a half ago for having chop zone, which was basically just a, a radical, you know, we don't want authority anymore. If it looks like this, right. These are conversation partners that the gospel speaks to the gospel has the, the Bible has things to say about this. So when we're, we're getting more creative and, and sometimes even a little smaller, we can have real dialogue about, What's going to speak to my community? Yeah. How can I help them see God in this and be more effective with my friends? Um, that takes a lot of scary sort of conversations, a lot of dialogue, a lot of trying new things. How did we do with that? You like that? Do we should do it more or less? I never want to give up, for instance, I never want to give up meeting together. I, I like the churches that, that meet together. Maybe they have house church, then they meet together. I love that. But these are the kinds of conversations we've got to, to be more open to because there isn't, COVID has shown us a lot of things and a lot of bad stuff. But one of the things is there's a lot more opportunity than we ever thought there was. And, and how, do we, how do we in a very unified way talk about that? More than anything, I am calling listeners and those who are finding themselves in a particular faith setting to be patient, to pray, Yes. To be innovative. I, I'm one of these people who, again, I, I, I push people because I do a both and, which, That's right. for example, the church is not a democracy. <laughs> okay. I'm just That's saying right. it. I get some yeah. of us may feel triggered by that, but it's the truth. Yeah. It's not. The pulpit has become very democratized and right. I'm sensitive to that. Um, everyone kind of gets a voice. Even this podcast, I yeah. talked to Steve Kennard about this the other day. I get that for some people, this podcast, if you're leading, you maybe feel like another person with another voice. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to lift up ministers. I'm trying to help with the unity and all of that. Yeah. There's going to be some friction though. And That's there right. is, it's not going to be an easy process, but I'm here to lift people up like you, Darren, who we yeah. need to hear from. We need to hear from brothers like you who've been serving at this for decades. And I, I very well, and much we need appreciate to hear, it. And we need to hear from we need to value all generations. Um, mm. We we can't swing the pendulum in any one direction. Every voice is really important in the church. Otherwise, we won't be 
good together. So my job is to listen more to the younger voice. Um, it starts in my own household because I have some. <laughs> but I think we all need to look. Here's, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about like this. We need to stay really faithful to scripture. Yeah. And I, and I cannot say that enough. On the other hand, what goes along with it, this is a both hand. We need to be constantly learning and growing about what kinds of things help us mature mm. as we carry out scripture. Um, and I hope that we, we put our energies into areas that help us get more creative in, in spreading the gospel, not things that divide us, not things that put us into camps or tribes. That's what the world does. And actually, people are not looking for that. They're not. This, what I've, what I've read about, well, I, I want to say, first of all, I want to say something about what you said. We need to make sure people can preach the word and can lead these days. It's, it's not as easy as, as it was, right? It calls leaders higher, but one, <laughs> I can't remember who said it, but one, one author said, ministers today are dying a slow death. It's the death of a thousand qualifications. Um, <laughs> they they are every truth that they speak. They have to qualify to millions oh. of places. Someone's going to be mad at them. We cannot do that to our leaders. Um, it isn't a democracy. We do need to lead, but good leaders will also really mine out voices that help them lead better. Yeah, and I think that has shown us. We, we've seen that through COVID, and we need to get better at that as leaders. So we have a lot of work to do, but I think we're, we're on the right track. Let's just make sure the things that are creative and adaptable, let's do that well. The things that aren't, let's be very careful. And let's be unified. Um, I got to tell you, I, I believe the world is looking for a community that really stands out, bro. Set apart that is not the same as their, as their worldly community. One that... One where you can disagree with each other and have deep love for each other. Mm -hmm. Imagine when people walk into our communities and they know, because we're a diverse church. It's, I, I love our churches. We're, most of them were started in urban areas and we're a very diverse group. But can we disagree on really passionate issues, but remain close to each other and unified? That's the community people need to see. Can we have arguments uh, about the right things and maybe leave politics out um, or agree to disagree on some stuff and be and still exhibit a deep love for each other. So I, I just, it, it's calling us to a deeper level of trust and, and commitment in our community. And when we get better at that, boy, we are just a greater light um, to the world. We'll, we'll be a different community in a way that's very attractive. I have a saying that goes with what you're saying is that I don't have to, to agree with somebody in order to trust them. And I believe that like genuinely speak, I don't have to agree with you in order to trust you. The thing that I would say in my research that I've, I've currently found to be very true. You see these unity pressures. Mm -hmm. Well, when you look at the research about identity formation and what creates that solidarity is that it's based in the story right so stories about identity and so when people try to do unity before they do identity 
they actually yes. can't do unity. And so what I see the last, I don't know, eight, That's two years, point. three years has been, is it's been revealing as it relates to how people identify. Well, the assumption was we're in the same fellowship. We did the same Bible study series. We have the mm -hmm. same story arc in terms of who's in, who's out, how do I get saved, whatever. Since we, that's the same, then now we've had all these other assumptions about how we identify. Well, here's what we've seen in the last 24 to 36 months is that these issues have brought out differences in terms of how people identify in our churches. Yes. And the reality is, is that we just have to make sure during the next election cycle, I'm just calling it out, that we don't make assumptions, number one, yes. in terms of how people should identify or how we just assume that they do. And then the other thing is, is that if you focus on what makes you who you are, like, why did you get into this, dude? Not you, but I'm yeah. saying when I talk to people, yeah. Yeah. why did you become a Christian? Why did you swear your allegiance to Christ? Mm. That basic, like that building block of identity has been lost. <laughs> and so then what happens is we focus, well, we should be unified and we start to see people siloing themselves into different extreme perspectives or whatever. Yeah. But we have to go back to the assumptions about identity. Yeah. And, and then we can talk about unity. But if we try to force unity without people really being solid in terms of who they are with God and others, I, I, I don't see where unity is going to be possible. It's really helpful. I, we, our life is found meaningful through stories, through who we are, through where we've gone and what we've gone through. So I think you're right. We have to listen more radically to each other than we've ever listened before. I think that's what I'm trying to say is, is a posture of listening. Yeah. Um, that, that is what the people I'm reaching out to in Seattle don't see in the world and no one's listening to each other. When we listen authentically and it's hard um, because we always have some things to kind of throw in there and, and qualify, but yeah. when we listen, we're going to get to the right spot. I, I still don't know to your point. I don't know that we're ever going to always agree on stuff, but no. I'm not sure that's even the goal. The goal if we remind ourselves the real goal of evangelism and mission is to present as a church and an alternative community, mm -hmm. one that is ruled and run by God, one where everyone can be there themselves. They can drag their sorry stories in. We all have them. They, 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 are, a, they are who they are, and they're accepted. They're loved. They're appreciated. They're valued for all of their failures and mistakes. For all of their gifts and non-gifts, we're all better together, not separately. This is what is attractive to the world. And I don't want to, I'm with you. I don't want to climb up in a high theological tower and just preach scriptures on unity when people's lives are lived down there with real stories. We need to listen. And I'll tell you, I, I've learned a lot about listening during COVID and I've learned how to get better at it and how maybe not good I was at it. So that's where authenticity is found. Um, and I think we need to model that as the older group, the middle, the middle age group and the younger group need to model it together. Absolutely. With, with that same, as I started this conversation with that same Philippians two, self emptying kind of love for each other. Mm -hmm. When I empty myself for you, and you empty yourself for me. And maybe we, maybe we have a hard time with that for a while. But when we continue to do that, 
and we create communities in our churches where, where we do that, those are very evangelistic. Um, those are very evangelistic. People are, are, are looking for that like a, a person in a desert is looking for water. They, it is not inspiring um, the prevailing dialogue in the world right now. They want something different, authentic for sure, but ruled by something higher than, our, than ourselves. And that's what, at the end of the day, what we're doing. And we use the biblical narrative to do that as we draw everyone and their unique story into God's grand story. Mm -hmm. So, well, I appreciate your labor, bro, in all of this. You've been in the ministry for quite a while, and you, like many, have made enormous sacrifices. And you had career pur you. pursuits you could have taken, but you've served people. And I thank you for your many years of working to help people to know God better and image bearer and your wife and your kids. Thank I mean, you, it's a community sacrifice. It's not just you. And so I appreciate it. I just want to tell you, I say this to all my guests, that we are with you. And I really mean that. It sounds corny, yeah. but sometimes we just need to know, am I alone? No, we're with you. And God is for you. Thank you. I appreciate that, brother. Thanks for having me. Oh, won't be the last time. Will not be the last time. Next time when I have you come back, I think I might do something like, not like in terms of like techniques or whatever, but in terms of how to really help some of the churches move mm. forward specifically, very, very specifically. I think we could do a whole podcast on that, bro. So Amen. I appreciate it. Well, if you've been with us throughout the entire video, I'm very grateful to you. Please continue to like, share, and subscribe the channel, the ministry. It's not just a channel, but it's a ministry that is continuing to grow. Guys, this is an amazing, amazing moment. And you guys are amazing uh, for continuing to tune in. I look forward to seeing you next time.